Dr. Caroline Leaf is a cognitive neuroscientist with a PhD in communication pathology. She says, I quote, everything you do or think builds a physical structure in your brain. And if you keep doing and thinking whatever it may be over time, it will become a habit. If you really want to take charge of your future, start with taking charge of your daily actions and what you think. So our thinking builds a kind of trail in our brain. If we have a, uh, a pathway for healthy living, you know, that's, that's one trail. If we maybe have negative thoughts, it can create kind of a rut instead of a, a fruitful life. So our brains are kind of like a, the physical property, the meat, of, if you will, of, of our thinking. Our minds, however, are an invisible element, invisible aspect that feels, that believes, that, that, that chooses, and can be separated from the brain. The brain feeds the mind information, but we are not robotically chained to follow the information from the brain. With the mind, we choose our perspective and beliefs and attitudes. It's one of the reasons that when our brain contains a negative memory, for instance, maybe we've experienced uh, abuse or even addiction, we can choose a different pathway than that memory. Nature or nurture, these are not masters either because as human beings we possess something different than other species and that is what we call a free will. It's why every human being is morally culpable or responsible. So no matter what your background or your immediate experience, we have a choice in the thinking, in the attitude, and in our perspective. Think about that. I mean, how is it that two siblings can grow up in the same home? And let's say there's, there's you know, abuse or addiction, and one uh, grows up unforgiving, bitter, perhaps chooses a life that gets into that same addiction, and another forgives and is relatively well-adjusted. I mean, how does that happen? How do you explain that? Free will. Now, because I have a will to do something does not mean I necessarily have the power to do something. For instance, humans cannot save themselves from their sin, right? Humans do not possess the power over sin in and of themselves or in living a, a Christian life pleasing to God. These are gifts from God and his grace. And we can choose to either reject the provision that's provided in Christ and, and live independently, or we can choose to accept those things, experience salvation, obedience, repentance, through the Spirit, which I can take no credit for, because that in itself is a gift of God. I receive what God has given me through Christ, or I can choose to pridefully go my own way, right? Paul said it this way, for struggling, with, let's just bring it down to a simple concept. He said in Philippians 2.13, it is God who gives us the will and the power to do what is right. So in other words, God gives us the want to, 
And God gives us the power to do whatever it is we want to do in terms of righteousness. So God deserves the credit for all of that. They say, well, why are you getting into all this? Well, this is especially necessary to understand when we consider living a life of thankfulness. The power to be thankful, while it, uh, our will is a, an important component, but Christ is the one that deserves the credit, right? I mean, we choose to rely upon the person, the power, the promises of Christ, or we can choose to operate independent of him. So with Christ in us, Christ is the one that's living his life out through us, how can Christ do anything other than to please the Father? Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7, I think, provides some necessary information for us to learn how to think about this thing of, of being thankful. Christ is the power behind the thankfulness. We can choose again to either accept or reject his provision. So let's read the passage, and uh, what I'd like for us to do is all stand, all right? And let's do this. I will read the even number verses, and you read out loud the odd, all right? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so, Father, we pray that it would be so with us here today. For it's in Jesus' name that we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. Now, before we start diving into our passage, there's one thing I feel like I need to speak about when we talk about choosing to be thankful. Many people suffer from either their physical bodies or brains presenting information to them that, that clouds their perspective. Uh, we have a term for it, it's called depression. And when they hear maybe somebody like myself talking about you know, choosing joy, choosing thankfulness, it can be interpreted as condemning because they're thinking to themselves, you know, I didn't choose this depression. Now, depression is an ever-increasing part of our culture. And I just want to say straight up that being thankful is not a cure-all for depression. It does put our, our head and heart in the best place possible to deal with depression. From One Health site, it says this, it's a statement about depression. It says, major depression is a mood disorder that affects the way you feel about life in general. Having a hopeless or helpless outlook on your life is the most commonly associated symptom of depression. Other feelings may be worthlessness, self-hate, or inappropriate guilt. Common reoccurring thoughts of depression are vocalized as, it's all my fault, or what's the point? So a, a depressed state comes in many shapes and sizes. And knowing some of the signs of depression can, can be of some help. For instance, having trouble concentrating, extended and frequent fatigue, feelings of worthlessness, pessimism or cynicism, restlessness, appetite swings, losing interest in activities we once enjoyed, lack of sleep, 
feelings of anxiousness and irritability, uncontrolled emotions, or even thinking about death. Let me just say this. uh, Depression is not something to trifle with. And there can be physical causes that demand a physical solution. And there can be also emotional and spiritual factors that demand an approach appropriate for for those roots. One size does not fit all. There is not a spiritual fix to get rid of every kind of depression. In other words, if somebody has a broken arm, I'm not going to, you know, just read them a Bible verse, give them some warfare prayer that they're to pray and expect, you know, that arm to heal. There is a physical problem that needs a a physical solution. Depression can be treated with physical, emotional, and spiritual remedies, again, depending on the root of the issue. Here's some interesting facts. In the United States, 5 to 10% of adults currently experience the symptoms of major depression, and up to 25% meet the diagnostic criteria during their lifetime, making it one of the most common conditions treated by primary care physicians. At any given time, around 15% of American adults are taking antidepressant medications. Now, this is interesting. Studies of religious groups, from Orthodox Jews to Evangelical Christians, reveal no evidence that the frequency of depression varies across religious groups or between those who attend religious services or those who do not. So let's say in a typical congregation of 400 adults that we may have here, 100 attendees will experience depression at some point, and at least 60 are currently taking antidepressants. Now, does that mean that the Bible cannot help, does not address any of these issues? No. But it does mean we have to keep from just giving simplistic answers. Listen to our brothers and sisters. Come alongside and have some empathy and understanding. I think there is one message that is relevant for all of us, whether we suffer from depression or not, and that is we serve a God who cares about us, right? And that the Bible is still relevant to us, being thankful may not solve every issue we face, but it will, again, position our minds and hearts to respond in faith to what God has before us. Being thankful feeds our faith with the goodness of God. It, it increases our trust in God. It, it helps us focus on, on who God really is as we recount his blessings and his disposition toward us. So let's review some of the choices we make that Philippians highlights. Our passage says to rejoice always. The idea here is that we have an opportunity to choose an attitude. Our brains and our circumstances may present to us a dire case. Maybe we've lost a loved one. Maybe we've lost a job. Maybe a a significant other has left. Maybe we received bad news from the doctor. 
However, if God is asking us to rejoice always, that means we have the ability, the, the, the free will, to choose an attitude, to choose a perspective that can help us through in any situation. Rejoice always. You know, a drunk parent does not have to dictate, or an abusive one, does not have to dictate to us our perspective. Cancer does not have to dictate for us our attitude. Our checking balance, all right, does not dictate to us our perspective. Marital status, the the present ruling political party or president, or what car you drive, does not dictate to us our perspective. We choose that perspective that will either feed or bleed our faith. We have a choice about how we think and what perspective we will take. So we choose our attitude. Next, we choose the focus of our trust. Rejoice in the Lord always. The psalmist said, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I mean, have you ever just paused and considered how much your heavenly Father delights in you? I mean, sit still, no device in hand, no media thing playing, sit still and just allow the Holy Spirit. It may take 10 minutes, it may take a half hour, it may take an hour, but until you absorb the truth that your heavenly Father is crazy about you, loves you. Have you ever become overwhelmed by your circumstances? Rejoice in the Lord. There are things true about God and his disposition toward us and the blessings that we have of being in Christ and Christ in us that never change. They do not change because of the circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord. In his book, The Wisdom of Tenderness, Brennan Manning tells the following story. I gave this illustration in the first service, and somebody showed me a picture of him with Brennan Manning, who's now deceased. This is what he said, I quote. Several years ago, Edward Farrell of Detroit took his two-week vacation to Ireland to celebrate his favorite uncle's 80th birthday. On the morning of the great day, Ed and his uncle got up before dawn, dressed in silence, and went for a walk along the shores of Lake Killarney. Just as the sun rose, his uncle turned and stared straight at the rising orb. Ed stood beside him for 20 minutes with not a single word exchanged. Then the elderly uncle began to skip along the shoreline, a radiant smile on his face. After catching up with him, Ed commented, Uncle Seamus, you you look very happy. Do you want to tell me why? Yes, lad, the old man said, tears washing down his face. You see, 
The Father is fond of me. Ah, me Father is very fond of me. We choose the focus of our trust. We also choose the frequency of our trust. Rejoice in the Lord, what? Always, always. Now, I want to remind you that the man writing those words had been in prison. Think of this. Had had multiple attempts upon his life, right? And yet, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Why is that? Because I know God loves me. Because I know he's constantly wooing me. Because I know he will not leave. Because I know I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. Because I know I am adopted by the Holy Spirit. I know that I have an inheritance reserved in heaven for me. These things do not change. I know that this God is sovereign. I know that I have a future. I know that my past is forgiven. I know that my present, he is empowering me. I can rejoice in the Lord always. We also choose to recognize the reality of God's presence and his return. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. We feed our brain the truth of the Lord. And you know what he does? He helps us be reasonable. That feeds our perspective with the right view of of reality. We're not going to go off into left field with some pie-in-the-sky wishful thinking or a doomsday perspective. We are reasonable in knowing that the Lord is at hand. We see that phrase elsewhere, for instance, in James. They had quite a situation where the rich believers were very biased and prejudicial against the poor believers. They wouldn't let them sit in front, and you know they had this division based on economics. It was, it was not a cool thing. And so what you had is some people who were wanting to get back at the others. In other words, you know, show some vengeance. And this is what is said in James. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. The judge is standing at the door. The coming of the Lord is at hand. It's a way of saying God is eventually going to hold everybody accountable. You don't have to worry about taking care of that. All right? You ever get really frustrated with a situation? Somebody, there's a real injustice. It helps sometimes to know that the coming of the Lord is at hand, right? The judge is standing at the door. God will take care of that. It's not my job to make sure that justice is done in these personal relationships where you are wrong, you're, you're lied to, or, or people say things that aren't true, and you have all these things going on. The judge is standing at the door. No one will get away with that prejudice that took place. We'll all be held accountable. God will execute his justice in his time. So if God is truly present, and his promises are really true, and his power really does reside in us, 
then isn't it the most reasonable thing to rejoice? Those things don't change. Even though circumstances may change, even though I've had injustice done to me, I realize, you know what? I can still rejoice. Next, we choose how to handle every stressful situation. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. I realize that when my blood pressure rises, okay? And by the way, I got a, a new, it's a cheap knockoff smartwatch. It's not an Apple watch. I didn't want to pay that kind of money. But I got, I got a cheap one that measures my blood pressure. So now I know. Ooh, look at this. I got to settle it down here, okay? <laughs> I, got, I got that going for me. If I get irritable or, you know, I have some kind of nervous twitch or if I have a device in my fingers constantly, okay? I realize all these things, these are choices I am making that put me in that position. So as I, as I slow my life down, as I seek to honor the Lord daily or even in a, in a weekly Sabbath, I learn, you know what? I'm not indispensable. I can, I can slow down, not be in such a hurry, pack my schedule with so much stuff, put away some distractions, and I realize that God is sufficient. We choose how we handle every stressful situation. Next, we choose to appeal to God on every matter. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. When I realize that I am not indispensable, and I see that God cares for me and loves me and is sovereign, the most natural response is to go to him with everything. So I thank him. I ask him. I go to him. I'm responding to him and, and including him in all my days and moments of my life. Father, here I am watching this game. Just thank you for this, that, that we can do this. Uh, Father, here we are sitting down to this meal. Thank you for this. Father, I'm enjoying our family. Thank you for this. Father, here's a problem with this relationship. I'm not sure how to act. Can you help here? I need, I need strength and, and wisdom. Father, here's an issue at church that needs to be dealt with. Can you, can you help with this and, and provide wisdom? See, life is about stitching God into the fabric of every moment of our life. We choose to appeal to God on every matter. All I'm doing is recognizing the opportunities God has given me to see him at work and that he's available to provide in any situation. So when I choose to appeal to God, when I choose my attitude, when I choose to recognize God's presence and power, when I choose to focus on God's provision, what happens? God then provides us with an incomprehensible peace. It's always available to us. He's always got it. It's always available. But sometimes I'm too hurried, too stressed to just take a gander and enjoy it. And that peace directs our mind and our heart. Isaiah says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because 
He trusts in you. No matter what happens, I can trust in him. Sometimes we've got to take care of the things that are causing our minds, you know, distress so that we can focus on the Lord. All right, we've got something that's stuck up in our attic. I don't know what it is. It sounds like a, a human being dancing around upstairs, all right, or in our, in our attic. I put a little trap in uh, up there. It's about this long and put some bait in it. And it's supposed to come down and, you know, trap the critter, whatever it is. I heard a large crash. I went up there in the attic. The cage was sitting on its side. All the bait was gone, and the trap door never came down. I don't know what it was. We're, we're still dealing with the sound. I mean, it's, it's loud scratching at night. I don't know what it is. So we're going we're gonna to have somebody come to the house and deal with it tomorrow. But we, we have to take care of that in order to rest at night, okay? So you got to do whatever it takes to deal with that stuff. You may have a situation that you just need to take to the Lord and you need to offload it. You need to realize he is sovereign. That's not bigger than him. He can handle this. You may not even have it all solved, but just by the act of knowing that he's got it can give you peace. Prayer and thankfulness is like taking off the blinders and seeing the God who's really there. It's deeply personal, deeply relational. When he was seven years of age, his family was forced out of their home. And he, at seven years old, went to work. When he was nine, his mother died. He lost his job as a store clerk when he was 20. He wanted to go to law school, but he didn't have the education. At 23, he went into debt to be a partner in a small store. Three years later, the business partner died. And the resulting debt took him years to repay. When he was 28, after courting a girl for four years, he finally asked her to marry him. She turned him down. On his third try, he was elected to Congress at age 37, but then failed to be reelected. His son died at four years old. At 45, he ran for the Senate and lost. At 47, he ran for the vice presidency and lost. But at 51, he was elected president of the United States. And of course, you know him as Abraham Lincoln. Did you also know that it was Lincoln who, in the middle of the Civil War in 1863, issued a national proclamation of thanksgiving? That man, with those experiences, said we need to annually recognize with great gratitude our Heavenly Father. Let's all stand, and we're going to read aloud our passage. All of us, let's read it together. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, 
let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.